This morning we're beginning a short three-week series called Love Divine. And basically what we're going to talk about over the next three Sundays is what happens when the love of God uh, intersects and, and, and collides with how does it change and transform our human uh, loves and human relationships. And, and, you know, if you've been with us at New Life Downtown, you know that very often we begin by exegeting a text. And we spent all of last year journeying through the book of Acts. Um, our next series during Lent and leading up to Easter will be about conversations that Jesus had with people uh, through the Gospels. And then after Easter, we'll begin a long series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so very often, we'll take a text and we'll begin exegeting the text and saying, where's Jesus here and how, does, how do we see Jesus revealed? But there's another way to sometimes preach, and that's what we're going to do in this series, and that is to start with experiences that are common to life or things that are common to the human experience, and to say, okay, here's this thing that we can all sort of say, yes, I, I, I know about this, or I've thought about this, and then to say, now how does Jesus change that? And so in this Love Divine series, we're t- today we're going to talk about friendship, next week marriage, and then in week three, identity. And particularly our identity as in how does it make us think about virtue, about suffering, about things like that. And so in all of this in light of, Love divine. What does God's love do to our human loves, our human realities and relationships? Um, For some reason, whenever I think about friendships, I always think about the songs that coincided with significant moments. And so it's not long before you end up with Michael W. Smith. Um, Because when when I was 10... When I was 10 years old, we left Malaysia and moved to Portland, Oregon. My, my family lived in Oregon for three years. And, uh, and I was very cl- I had a, I've, I've been blessed with good groups of friends in every stage of my life. And so growing up uh, in, in Malaysia, there were these uh, friends of mine in youth group that we were really close and really tight. And, and, uh, and we, you know, we had these great experiences together in children's ministry and in youth services. And so when I was leaving, you know, it was only a matter of time before we started singing, you know, And friends are friends forever, if the Lord is the Lord. Anyway, and and then when we lived in Portland, it was time to leave there. It was three years later, and we were leaving uh, the States to go back to Malaysia. Then it was the other Michael Levy Smith song, Pray For Me. Pray for me, and I'll pray for you. Anybody? Pray that we will keep the common ground. Yeah. And... um, then, then when I left Malaysia and, and, and went off to college, I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Which I was just back this week to lead worship at a homecoming event. It was a, it was a great experience. And, um, but I remember when I got there, one of the songs that were big was the song that was the soundtrack for the TV show Dawson's Creek. Anybody remember that? I don't want to wait for my life to be over. Come on, guys. You know you want to sing. And, uh, and then after that, I think, I think right around the time, and maybe Cody, you remember this, but it was that Green Day song, I Hope You Had the Time of Your Life. It was like every year-end review video was like, I hope you had the time of your life. You know? um, and uh, so there's, al- there's always a song that makes you think about friendships and the changing seasons of friendships and all of that. And I, I don't know what you kids you know, sing these days, but, uh, but the, the, the trouble with friendships is that um, it only takes so much experience with friendships before you get let down. 
And uh, I think what I love about the songs is it gives you a very idealized, romanticized notion of friendships that we're always going to be friends forever and this is always going to be great. But something happens along the way and maybe enough time out of the college atmosphere where everybody's close and maybe enough time where you move to different cities and you kind of lose touch and you sort of see them on Facebook, but it just something feels different. And maybe it's, it's worse than just kind of drifting apart. Maybe the truth is uh, there's actually hurts that develop. And that if you stay around a person uh, enough, for a long enough time, you, you, they find ways of hurting you unintentionally or maybe intentionally. You find that you've done things to hurt them. And, and so what often happens is the older that we get in life is your circle of friends ends up getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Or maybe you know people who their experiences, the older they've gotten in life, the lonelier they've become. And there's really nobody around them. And, and you sort of think, man, what, what happened along the way? Because isn't friendship one of God's great gifts to us as human beings? And yet, why is it so difficult to sustain these relationships? And, and how, come, how come over time, all that happens is this circle gets smaller and smaller? And where is Michael W. Smith when you need him? If you turn to Ecclesiastes, it's, kind of, it's in the Old Testament, sort of toward the middle of your Bible, but Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, verse 9 through 12. It's a very interesting book, Ecclesiastes. It, it's, it's a little bit like um, uh, different, different philosophers you may have read, but this particular set of verses is talking about friendship, and we heard it in our Old Testament reading this morning, but I'll read it again. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. If we were to ask ourselves this morning, what is friendship? What would we say friendship gets its strength from? What does friendship build on? One of the things we would say is commonness. There's a certain element of friendship that, that develops, that derives from commonness. Um, a book that I read back in high school that I think is a marvelous book on all of this is C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. And I'm going to read you several quotes from Lewis because uh, I, I think in many ways friendship is one of the things that Lewis really understood, even in his own uh, relationships, his own life. Of course, there's his famous friendship with Tolkien and uh, if you've ever get the chance to go to England and you go to Oxford, you see the little um, pub where they used to sit on Tuesday mornings, the eagle and the child. I, I got to uh, see that a few months ago. And so there's famous friendships in his own life. But he wrote about friendship. It's one of his later books. And this is what, th these are a few of the quotes. Friends are not primarily absorbed in each other, Lewis says. It is when we are doing things together that friendship springs up. Painting, sailing ships, praying, philosophizing, fighting shoulder to shoulder, friends look in the same direction. In other words, you're standing side by side looking at something else, looking in the same direction. Lovers look at each other, that is, in opposite directions. Every married couple says, no kidding. The typical expression of, op of opening friendship, Lewis goes on in this chapter on friendship love, and he says, the typical expression of opening a friendship, beginning a friendship, would be something like, oh, what? You too? You too? I thought I was the only one. In this kind of love, as Emerson the poet said, do you love me means do you see the same truth? Or at least do you care about the same 
truth. And so Lewis is kind of putting forth this idea that, look, it happens when you're kind of, you know, you're, you're hiking up the incline and all of a sudden you see someone else and you think, oh, you too, which is legal to do now, by the way. And uh, so all of you that have been avoiding it, you no longer have excuses. Uh, but, but you could go on the train and, and you look at someone else and say, you too? I love this. I, you do this? Yes, I do this. Oh my gosh, you know. Uh, or something else, perhaps. Now, Lewis, this is written, you, you have to remember, I think this is in the 50s or so, and so he's not as politically correct as we are, but listen to this next quote. He says, that is why those pathetic people, oh, sorry, sorry, Lewis, it's a bit harsh, that is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should ha- want something besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about truth. I only want a friend. Lewis says, if if you think like that, no friendship can arise. Though affection, of course, may. You may care for someone, but no genuine friendship could arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. (laughs) Jesus. First, he's calling us pathetic. Next, he's suggesting we build a friendship around white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And so what Lewis is saying to us is, look, okay, so, so part of how friendship develops is you've developed a passion or an interest about something, and then you meet a fellow traveler. And isn't that so often how that happens? You, you find yourself going to something, or maybe it's an art thing, or, or it's the reason we have this book club. How many of you are reading the Franny and Zoe book? Uh, been reading it during Epiphany. I think Patton and Michaela are doing... Their dis- the discussion on it next Sunday, you know, so something like that. Maybe you're reading it and you think, wow, this is great. I, I want to talk about this with someone else. So friendship builds on commonness. But secondly, friendship also builds on exclusiveness. If, if we're honest, there is a healthy sort of exclusion that happens in friendship because if it's just sort of for everybody and, you know, anybody who wants to come, all of a sudden you've lost the whole reason for the friendship. So let's say Matt Howard says we're going to have a, we're going to go rock climbing at the city rock, and everybody's you know like hey Matt do I have to like love rock climbing to come? I mean how do you answer that? He said well we're going rock climbing you know, and and imagine if people show up and they're and they show up just to sort of make fun of rock climbing, you're not going to make friends with people rock climbing that day right? So there's a certain exclusion that's already built in when you say friendship builds on commonness. All of, immediately people who don't rock climb will say, well, I don't know. Or maybe people who don't enjoy reading in, in a reading club will say, oh, I don't know about that reading club. I don't, want to, I, I, don't, I don't want to read that. Or for me, when anybody suggests a long hike or skiing or any activity that involves too much strain over a long period of time, <laughs> I self-exclude from those friendships. <laughs> Thirdly, friendship builds on multiplied joy. And you might add, it's not on the slide, but you might add multiply joy slash virtue. Because there's something about friends that not just, they they multiply your joy or your experience of something. This is what I mean, okay? Look, how many of you are having a party at your house where you're going to watch a football game? The phrase Super Bowl party I I hear is trademarked, so I can't say it. But uh, anybody having, okay? Why are you doing that? Because it's just more fun. 
the commercials wouldn't be as funny on your own, right? Sorry, I'm still a bitter Broncos fan at the moment. There will be no party of football watching at my house. I will be in sackcloth and ashes still. It could have been us! But there's something about it where, where your experience or your enjoyment of something is multiplied when there's friends around, right? I know a group of you that went up to go see an art show in Denver. Why, why go together? I mean, art, that's sort of a pride. Because there's just something about when you go to something together and you, you, you experience it. Dan drags me out of bed on Mondays and Wednesdays to go running with him on the Santa Fe Trail. I don't run. But there's something about his misery of the cold, snowy days that also loves company. And then we have multiplied joy together. But there's something, friendship builds on this sense that, look, if this is good, I want others to join in this, right? But you know, we could put this under the category of multiplied joy, but it's also multiplied virtue. And what Lewis kind of talks about this a little bit, let's read his quote. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. What does he mean by that? You ever been in a circle of friends and you know when you're together with that person, it brings this crazy side out of him, right? But then when another friend is there too, it brings out a a different side of him. And, And you enjoy not just when the two of you, but you enjoy when three or four or five of you are all together because... In each of you, different friends bring out something else. Have you ever had that experience? Like, man, this is so great because I love being with this group of friends because this person asks me these great questions. This guy just makes me laugh, you know. And this dude is always, you know, anyway, you've been there. And maybe some of the things they're bringing out of you aren't great, you know, which we'll get to is the flip side of friendship, isn't it? But for now, let's talk about the strength of it. Part of the beauty of friendship is it has a way of calling things out of you that you didn't know were there. And, and, and Lewis goes on, it's a little bit morbid, but when he says when you lose a friend, either because they move away or whatever, or, or, or in, in his chapter he actually says because of death, what you lose is not just what they bring, but what they bring out of you and out of everyone else in the circle of friends. And, and maybe you've, you can relate to this. You've had a close circle of friends and someone moved away and you're like, well, you know, it's, it's, we're still, at least we got the three of us, you know. But you realize something's missing. And it's not just the person, but it's what that person brought out of the whole group. Right? Anybody? So there's something about friendship that, that builds on this multiplied joy. Multiplied virtue, even. The Bible seems to confirm our enjoyment of friendship. It seems to confirm that, that friendship love is a very beautiful thing when it happens. Even if it is a rare thing. When we find a person that we say, you too, we see the same truth. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. There's something about someone who stays with us. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Something about friendships, that the way they stay with us, the way they stick with us, the way they help us. Make it through. And when you read verses like that, or when you read a chapter like Lewis's chapter about friendship love, there's probably something in all of us that says, I want to have that kind of friend. And maybe when you think about it, you think, well, geez, I wish I had that kind of friend, but I don't. 
Or maybe in the flip side of the coin, you, you say, well, I want to be that kind of friend. And I don't know if I am, but I, I, I'd like to be. And, and then maybe as your mind wanders a little bit, you realize there's an ugly side to friendship too, isn't there? And all three of those things we said, commonness, exclusiveness, and multiplied joy, can, can really have a dark side to each of those three things. Have you ever been in a friendship where the commonness sort of goes bad? Where you realize that, that what happens when someone changes? You ever been around a group of friends and you all used to think this way, and then one person all of a sudden, you know, switched political parties? <gasps> God forbid. Like, oh, I don't, oh, this just feels awkward now. Or, or someone sort of maybe switched churches or maybe, maybe you know, converted. They're still a Christian, but maybe they converted to orthodoxy or something that's, that you can't relate to. So then all of a sudden, the friendship that was built on commonness is now being strained. Because you're thinking, do we see the same truth? I don't know. Why'd you have to go gluten-free on me? I thought we saw the same truth. Bread is good. It's not really, but anyway. Um, Lewis calls this the jealousy of affection. Where friends have this affection for one another because they've had this commonness and then one person takes a left turn and goes somewhere different. And you, hey! And out of the jealousy of affection, they say, hey, well, why are you doing that? Do you know this can also happen when a friend ends up being more successful than another, than the circle of friends? You ever experienced that? And someone's like, you're all in this thing together, and then someone says, I'm going to go on to grad school. Grad school? Who do you think you are? Is college not enough, you know? We were rocking the commuter life, man. Why do you have to go move to Boston or whatever, you know? Sam just got into Duke. Where are you, Sam? It's pretty cool. Congratulations. But, but maybe there'll be people who are like, Duke, huh? Better than us? Going to go dropping Hauerwas' name all the time now? You know? There's a jealousy that happens with friends when one friend sort of deviates and you think, well, I'm happy for you, but I'm also sort of jealous. Not because I want to be with you, but... Anyway, that's commonness gone bad. What about when exclusiveness goes bad? Ooh, that's easier to think about, isn't it? You ever sort of showed up to a, a gathering or a function and you're like, oh, you, you guys all already know each other? Oh, oh, you guys had dinner before the movie? Oh, I didn't get the text. It's kind of weird. Like, uh, oh, oh, you didn't text me, that's why. It's because I'm not gluten-free. When exclusiveness goes bad and, you know, you think about, you know, all the different situations in life where, where that happens, where as a group of friends within a group of friends gets closer and all of a sudden others feel like left out of it. I know, it's terrible. feel excluded. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, even as a parent, you, you see it develop early in children, don't you? I mean, like first grade, second grade, you come back, you hear, listen to certain stories, and you're like, wow, really? Oh, honey, I'm so sorry that they didn't pl play in your imaginary Narnia game on the playground with you, you know? 
Anyway. Um, what about when multiplied joy or multiplied virtue goes bad? Well, Lewis says that this which is friendship can be a school of virtue, but it can also be a school of vice. The Bible says it this way, do not be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. So is there a way where all of a sudden the friendships, the circle that's around you, can pull out the worst things in you? You bet. Uh, I, I think this shows up sometimes in, in a lot of us when we um, are going through a phase of life where you're cynical, or you're, you're sort of, oh, church, or Jesus, and you surround yourself with only those voices. What do you think is going to be multiplied in those circles? Not hopeful answers, but multiplied cynicism. I saw this a lot at the school that I went to. It was great for me to go back now, you know, however many years removed, 14 years removed, and stand in the very chapel and think, I heard some crazy things in this room, but I also had some amazing things happen while I was at this place and amazing friendships and all that. And I was, I was talking to some of the current students and I said, listen, here's the thing. You can multiply the cynicism or you can multiply something pure in each other. And friendships work like that. They can, they can sort of say, yeah, there's this and yeah, there's this and yeah, oh yeah. And in, in fact, there was a book I read last year. It's a secular book called The Big Sort. And it's, it's about... Um, um, how America is getting more and more divided into radicalized pockets of like-minded people. We don't know about that, do we? It's like ultra-red communities and ultra-blue neighborhoods. And what happens is when you only are around people that are exactly like you, it actually radicalizes you in your position. So where else maybe you would have said, this is what I kind of think about immigration, but then you're hanging out with this group and you think, yeah, you know what? Get rid of all of them. <laughs> the Bible says we were all strangers. Okay, anyway, it's good to have other voices around you that keep you from being radicalized in one certain way. And friendship can go bad when all it's doing is multiplying the worst tendencies in your life. And guys, this is real. This happens when Christians only insist on being with, with Christians, when you insist on staying in your neighbors, when you insist on only watching your particular you know, source of news or whatever it may be. This happens because all we do is we create a giant feedback loop that confirms what we've already thought. Then you're missing out on one of the great strengths of friendship, which is that it can push you to think in different ways. So Friendship can go bad in all of these ways, and before long you realize... I don't know if I have the kind of friend I wish I had. I want to tell you that it's not just you. It's not just you. You'd be amazed at how many people I talk to who say, you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed with a lot of friends and I really don't have the reason to feel on my own, but sometimes I do. I feel like I'm the only one who thinks this way. I feel like I'm the only one who sort of sees it with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and everybody else kind of leans this way or leans that way. And I, I tend to sort of try to see it. And if you've ever felt the feeling of loneliness of that nobody gets me, I want you to know that actually that's true, I think, for all of us. That all of us to some degree or another feel a sense of loneliness, a sense of being by ourselves, of like, what? Isn't there anyone who, who, who sees it exactly the way I do? No, there's not. And maybe when you have, you've had friendships that have hurt, been hurtful, 
the tendency is to say, fine, I'm done with people. I'm done with friends. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say it, but they'll say it with a label. I'm done with Christians. Because I've just been hurt too much. I don't need Christian friends. You know, someone else, you know, you hear this a lot sometimes with women. Oh, I'm done with girl, my girlfriends because they're just too, I'm just going to hang out with guys. Well, that's problematic too. And so we can't fully wash our hands of this. And maybe the other side of the coin that's more uncomfortable to admit is the truth is it's not just that we don't have the kind of friends we wish we had, but we haven't been the kind of friend we wished to be. Isn't that true? You ever let anybody down? You ever been clueless about what someone else was going through? You ever said something hurtful? You ever just sort of had your thing on your mind? Never? All of a sudden we realize, oh, doggone it. It's not just that I've been let down. I've let others down too. Now what? Every once in a while, there's a word we'll need to learn together, and our word on the street today, Sesame Street friends, is is a German word that's pronounced Zenzucht. Though I don't speak German, so maybe it's not really pronounced like that. (laughs) But but it's in various literature and and philosophy, this word is used to describe a a longing, uh, a yearning. A feeling that nothing in life is perfect or complete. A feeling that something is unfinished. You ever like looked forward to an experience and then when it was over you're like, yeah, I was good. But, or you know, maybe you went back to like a reunion, high school reunion, and you go back and you're like, oh, I'm so excited to see all my old friends. It's going to be like old times. You know, I have a group of friends, there's ten of us guys, and we thought, let's get together once a year and we'll kind of talk honestly with each other and all that stuff. And our first year, we did it two years ago, it was awesome. And then last year, but only seven of us came. Last year, all ten came, and I came back and Holly was like, how was it? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it was okay. Some of us were think differently now, and that brought about some friction and... We stepped on some landmines and it got into big arguments and it's kind of weird. And you, have you ever had an experience that you hoped was going to be like this and then it was just unsatisfying in the end? You're like, ah, that was okay. This is a little bit of this idea of Zenzuk, is, is this thing of saying, I, I've got this longing and this yearning and I thought it was for this, but everything I go to in life leaves me feeling like that thing was imperfect or incomplete or unfinished. There's just, isn't there something beyond it? Something more to it. And friendship love is like that. In the end, friendship love, even when you have the greatest friends ever, you'll get to a point where you'll say, yeah, things just aren't the way they were. Or just, I don't know, it's kind of weird. And In that moment, you can say, I'm experiencing zenzoot. I've been zenzoot. I realize there's something more I'm longing for that everything in this life feels incomplete. Longing for a faraway country that yet is familiar and feels like home. Lewis used to call that joy. He said, look, the 
The thing that really completes the longing is, the, and the word he used for it was joy, with a capital J, joy. That all the good experiences in life give you stabs of this joy and awaken you to want this joy, but nothing in this world really satisfies with this joy. Does that make sense? And so when he came to Christ, he, he describes his own experience as being surprised by joy. And what we realize is that friendship is what joy comes through, not where joy comes from. Say it again. Friendship is what joy comes through and not where joy comes from. It's like a coffee cup. I really like coffee. And this morning, someone found out that I hadn't had coffee this morning and went over to 225 Cafe, thanks for Spreads for having a coffee shop, and, and got me a cup of coffee. This wasn't the cup they brought me because I still have some left in there. But imagine if I were to drink out of it. Oh my gosh, a tall white mocha. Yes, please. I love this. This is where joy comes from. And, and, and I drink and I drink and, and, I, and I carry this cup with me and tomorrow I'm going to carry this cup with me and the day after tomorrow I'm going to carry the cup with me and by Wednesday the cup is still with me. Why? Because this is where joy came from and I'm still trying to get every last Drop out. All of a sudden, one day I'll say, there is nothing left in this stupid coffee cup. I hate you, coffee cup. You have disappointed me. You were so good on Sunday. Where were you on Wednesday? You'd be like, Glenn, that's just the cup. Like, this isn't where the coffee came from. This is what the coffee came through. But isn't that what we do? We confuse the container for the source. We confuse the container for the source all the time. And so we ask our human relationships to be more than they could ever be. And we expect them to be the thing that joy comes from when it could never be that. And so we say, I don't know about the friendship stuff. They just let me down. I don't need friends. I'll have books. You've never been tempted to say that? Okay. And friendship is what joy comes through, not where joy comes from. Jesus, our gospel reading this morning. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. What is Jesus saying? Does he know the, friend, the kind of friend you've always longed for? The friend who would actually lay down his life for you. This is Jesus saying to his friends, his disciples, he's saying, it's about to happen. I am that friend you've longed for. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. Later on, Paul would say in Romans 5 verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And much more, now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Think about this. It's not as if we were friends with God and then God laid down His life for us. Was, oh, that's a nice thing to do for a friend. Paul goes on and says, actually, we weren't even friends. We were enemies. We were sworn enemies of God, mostly because we insisted on treating Him like an enemy. 
You realize that when, yes, there's a sense about God's justice and God's holiness that our sin is, is a direct affront and offense because we're putting something else only where He can be. But there's also the sense where God is saying, hey, look, but I'm coming after you and we're saying, you're my enemy. Get away. I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't need you. I'm out of here. And God keeps coming after us. And one day God comes into our world as Jesus. Jesus comes into our world and says, look, I'm still coming after you. And, there, and we continue to say, we don't want you. What we need is something different. We don't need this. Let's crucify him. Let's kill him. And Jesus says, okay, okay, all right, all right, I'll take it. All of the worst hurt and rejection you've ever felt. Okay, all of the worst disappointment you've ever known. All of the worst betrayal you've ever felt. Okay, bring it. I'll take it. I will die on the cross to show you that there's only one love that is strong enough. There's only one love that never fails. There's only one love that is stronger than death. And on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead to say, look now, look now. Disappointment doesn't need to be the thing that defines your life. Hurt and betrayal and rejection doesn't need to be the identifying mark about your life. Loneliness, the sense of being out of joint with the world and with others, the sense that years ago Francis Schaeffer called cosmic alienation, the feeling of just being abandoned and on our own, that that does not need to be the last word because the God who created the heavens and the earth stepped in and took it on Himself. And says, I am the friend you've always needed and wanted. And every bit of joy you experienced from human friendship was nothing more than a signpost that said, Behold, the Son of God. This is why Paul says in Romans, Now this is how we know what love is. John picks up on this in his letters. Why? How do we know what love is? Because we've been blessed with great friends. That'll, that'll awaken your appetite. That'll whet your desire and, and, and awaken it. The truth is, it's only Jesus that begins to define us with His love. But you know what happens? Guess what happens to our human loves when we've been loved by God? Everything changes. Now you're connected to the source. Paul says in Ephesians as we close here, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Aren't those all the very things that are hurtful in friendships? Bitterness? Yeah, I've been bitter. Wrath? Sure felt that. Anger? Mm -hmm. Clamor? Slander? All the things that are the worst parts of human friendships. Paul says, look, you can now put all of that away. Why? You can be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, there is no way to talk about friendship love and to say to you, come on guys, be better friends, be nice, be kind, if you hadn't first been loved by God in Christ. When love divine rushes into your heart, and heals the wounds, and puts you back together, and touches the broken places in your life, and begins to make you whole, then all of a sudden, you know what happens? Now you're able to love your friends 
without expecting something back. The world says, I'll be friends with you. I'll love you as long as we've still got commonness. Jesus says, if they're in Christ, they're your brother. They're your sister. That's the commonness you need. We're free to love even when we're not loved in return. We're free to forgive even when we've been hurt. We are free to include even when we've not been included. Now we stop going to friendships and saying, oh, I can't wait to get together with my friends because I, I need something. But we're able to say, God, thank you for love divine. Now when I see my friends, I'm free to give something. I'm free to forgive. I, I know. I, I, I'm going to assume the best. I'm going to assume they didn't mean that when they said that. I'm going to assume they forgot that. You know, I, I'm free to forgive because I'm not getting my joy from you, but from love divine. It, cha- it changes everything about human relationships. As the band comes up and we're getting ready to come to the table this morning, maybe there's a place in your life where you realize, and this happens even after you've come to Christ, there are, that's why we always need to be called to the cross every Sunday. Because it so easily happens to us where we begin to put something as our Lord or put something as our center, as our source. We so easily do this. Maybe this morning as we get ready and as we confess, maybe it's a moment to say, wow God, maybe the depth of my hurt about this situation is because I was expecting them to be my source. I need to drink again from the fountain of love divine. Listen, we come to the communion table, the metaphor of the, of the communion table of taking bread and taking a cup. It's a meal. It's nourishment. Why do we do this each week? Because we constantly need to be fed. Every Sunday we come and say, God, feed me again on your grace. Feed me again on love divine so it changes the way I see my friends and my friendships and I'm able to be quick to be kind and quick to forgive and quick to love and quick to give and quick to serve. Not because I'm looking for reciprocity all the time, but because I'm looking to freely give as I have freely received. So as we come this morning, would you take a moment and just be still where you are and say, Lord, Where in my heart have I made something else the fountain, made something else the source? Forgive me for that. Let love divine flood again.